Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. I'm here today with Kevin DePew, Deputy Chief Economist and National Industry Eminence Program Leader at RSM. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Katie. So each quarter we check in with RSM for an economic update, and the economic topic that's grabbing the most headlines continues to be tariffs, so I wanted to start off there. President Trump has been threatening to impose tariffs on $300 billion of additional Chinese goods. So I'm curious, which industries will be most heavily impacted if this were to go through? Okay, so with the first round of tariffs, the 10% tariffs uh, that recently increased to 25%, you saw the the initial impact occurring mostly in manufacturing, uh, some consumer products, uh, and agriculture. So What's really interesting about the first round is that the tariffs were targeted really high up the supply chain. And by that, I mean that the pass-through to consumers was really limited. So there are a couple of things, misperceptions about tariffs. One, and when we talk to people on Capitol Hill, you hear, you'll hear the administration say things like this, that uh, that China is paying for the tariffs. Well, that's only the case if China is lowering their prices by the tariff amount. So at the 10% level, if China lowers their prices, their exports by 10%, then technically they would be paying the tariffs. What we have, what we've learned, uh, having looked into this, is that they're not lowering their prices. So where does that 10% come from? Um, last year in the example that we used in 2018, I think we had 15.6 billion that was collected by uh, Customs and Border Patrol when when ships go into the port and offload those exports. Uh, the importer of record has to write the check. So if they're lowering the price by 10%, then it's a net offset, right? Sure. Uh, because they did not, then that's being paid for by uh, the intermediaries who are importing the products and then perhaps selling it to a manufacturer farther down. Uh, or ultimately, if the manufacturer farther down decides to raise the price by what they're having to share in some cases with the importer of record, then that 10% gets passed on to, cons- to consumers. Mm-hmm. So it was really hidden. And, and that's one of the reasons that the tariffs have not really been showing up to date in the economic data. Now, at 10%, if you're importing a a million dollars in supplies as a manufacturer, um, then that 10%, that $1 million increase, sometimes that's been shared by the importer, the intermediary. Sometimes it's been, uh, it's gone, the manufacturer themselves have decided, and we know this, we're talking to our clients, by the way, this is their, these are their stories that they say, okay, well, you know, we'll uh, accept the margin compression temporarily because the view last year at this time was that tariffs were going to be temporary. Mm -hmm. Well, our view and what we've been saying for the past 12 months is that this is a long-term issue. It's not going to go away. And now we know that those tariffs, once you go from 10 to 25%, well, there's much less ability to share it among uh, the various people who are importing the the tariffed items. Uh, And so that 25% now has nowhere to go but to consumers. Hmm. So it's going to start showing up on the shelves. And if the potential to move to uh, from 250 billion, which was the initial uh, a 10 now 25 percent tariff it moves to all Chinese uh, exports then at that point it really starts to show up on the consumer product shelves and impacting not not only your the things that you're buying as a as a manufacturer that you need to assemble parts or components or uh, the lack of purchases of your agricultural products that it starts to affect every industry right now agriculture 
uh, manufacturing consumer products are really the areas where it's been def- it's been confined to. Hmm. And are you seeing prices impacted yet for consumers, or is is that still down the line? That's still down the line. Mm-hmm. So uh, remember that um, when in May, when the tariffs moved from ten to twenty five percent, that did not affect items that were already on ships being transported over to the U.S. Okay. So anything that was in uh, a Chinese port then that was coming over to the U.S. now that is subject to twenty five percent, and we're going to start to see that very soon. And are you hearing from clients that they're looking for, you know, other countries to source from to avoid some of these these tariffs? Okay, well, they've been trying to do that to some extent. Uh, Intel CEO, uh, Cummins CEO, not necessarily clients of RSM, but sure. these are some of the public comments recently. It's not as a simple matter to move your supply chain from China to another country. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have seen in the data however, is that by the amount that our goods deficit with China has decreased, uh, it's simply shifted to other countries. So that's been ongoing, but it's largely the Fortune 1000 who have that kind of flexibility. In the middle market, it's much more difficult to just say, okay, well, I'm going to start sourcing materials from Malaysia or Thailand or Mexico versus uh, versus China. Uh, That kind of flexibility typically doesn't exist for middle market businesses and puts them, especially in a bind, uh, based on the increase from 10% to 25%. And there have been some other tariffs that have been floated by the administration and withdrawn. So the tariffs on Mexico, on the auto industry. Um, Are there any that you think are likely to resurface that you expect will have significant impact for the middle market? The one we're most worried about is in the automotive sector. Mm -hmm. So if the administration were to go uh, to... Uh, put 25% tariffs on automotive uh, exports to the United States, uh, that would be the equivalent of about a $100 billion tax increase for consumers. Mm -hmm. So uh, that would be happening too at a time when the auto industry uh, has a little bit of a supply issue. There were several really robust near record years of automotive production in the United States, unsustainable pace, right? So it's not that consumers have decided, well, we've got to retrench, we're not going to buy automobiles. It's just that that pace was unsustainable, and so you do see elevated auto inventories. Mm. Uh, But to the extent that those uh, tariffs do come into play, that would further uh, 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 cause the deceleration in automotive manufacturing and definitely be something that our clients uh, in the automotive ecosystem would have to deal with. And switching gears a little bit, the Fed is meeting this week, and some are expecting it to lay the groundwork for a rate cut later this summer. What are RSM's views on how the Fed is going to behave for the rest of the year? So our forecast is that uh, we're probably going to see about 50 basis points in interest rate cuts this year. Uh, Not in the first potential rate cut that we would see might be in July, depending on the data. Uh, But all the consumer data we've seen recently uh, supports the notion that it's really the tariffs and the uncertainty tax that businesses are facing that are contributing to the deceleration in the economy. Hmm. Consumption is there. Consumer sentiment is there. So those are the things that the Fed is looking at. Remember that consumption is about 70% of GDP growth, right? So to the extent that we've had a slowdown in GDP, it's largely isolated to uh, private fixed investment and capital expenditures. And so that uncertainty tax that's hanging over business is contributing to the slowdown. It's very difficult to make uh, investment decisions 12 months ahead, as many companies do, Mm -hmm. uh, if you are not sure about what the tariff situation is going to be and you're concerned about increasing costs and a slowdown globally related to the tariffs. Hmm. And in the 
the U.S. middle market business index um, that was recently published by RSM, that showed that middle market business sentiment actually rose in the second quarter. What's driving that confidence and how do you square that with some of the uncertainty that we've been talking about? So if you look at the, the, the we call it the MMBI, the RSM middle market business index, if you look at the MMBI for Q1, uh, you saw essentially uh, a sharp decline and then a rebound that, that recouped all of that sentiment decrease. So in Q1, we were surveying uh, during a period that the government shutdown was in effect. So business sentiment had obviously deteriorated because of what was happening in Washington, D.C. The tariffs and the uncertainty tax contributed to that as well. And so once the shutdown ended and we were surveying in the second quarter prior to the potential threat of the 5% tariffs on Mexico goods, uh, you saw sentiment rebound sharply. Hmm. Now, interesting in the Q1 data, the sentiment about the general economy and the index itself uh, deteriorated. But when we survey in two ways, one, we ask, uh, how are things in categories like net earnings, capital expenditures, uh, gross revenues this quarter versus the past quarter? And then we also ask them the same question with a six-month forward look. So in Q1, even though we saw that sharp sentiment deterioration, uh, businesses said that their forward expectations remained stable. So that told us that it was really something very temporary that was happening to suppress sentiment. Um, and again, when we surveyed in the second quarter, we saw that those forward-looking expectations improved. So the middle market is, is performing very well. It's very optimistic. Uh, the, what they're anticipating to happen for the next six months uh, is a positive economy. But that is contingent upon some of the trade policies and, again, that uncertainty tax that's weighing on business, contributing to the decline in capital expenditures. And when you survey middle market business leaders in the MMBI, does that track sentiment of, of large businesses or, or do you see you know quite a bit of difference in terms of what mid-sized companies are feeling versus their larger counterparts? There's not a significant difference, but there can be a difference in perceptions about, say, inventory levels. So we know that in the Fortune 500, the second half of 2018 saw a large inventory accumulation. That didn't happen in the middle market. So that's a little bit of a different, it probably reflects a little bit of the lack of flexibility that middle market businesses have to hold on to inventory. Um, you know, so there are little differences there. Uh, we're not really seeing the bifurcation now between middle market sentiment and Fortune 500 sentiment that we saw, say, emerging from the Great Recession. Okay. When the middle market at that point, from roughly about 2010 up in, until recently, uh, the middle market really accounted for the majority, over 50% of job growth. Hmm. So that was a little bit of a bifurcation that you saw emerging from the Great Recession. Uh, there are going to be some key differences as we near the end of this business cycle and then how we emerge from it. So you know, remember our, our MMBI only goes back to 2015. Hmm. So uh, we're not rooting for a cyclical downturn, but it will be interesting when it inevitably happens to see how the middle market rebounds based on our survey data. Sure. And one thing that I thought was interesting was RSM noted in the MMBI that it's somewhat concerned that while 39% of businesses said that they've increased capital expenditures, they're directing investment at correcting for basic efficiencies rather than making investments to substitute technology for labor. Talk about why that's a concern. Absolutely. So the main concern that we have in talking to our clients is that the middle market is not in a position to be able to invest uh, for the future. Mm -hmm. And that 
That means things like training for the modern workforce, what the workforce will look like a decade from now, from the way it looks like now. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Now, part of it uh, is the uncertainty tax and the middle market's not distinct from the Fortune 500. But when you look at the Fortune 500, their capital expenditures are far outpacing the rest of business. A couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of the graphics that uh, that is that will be available on your website shows you just one aspect of suppose a middle market business decides that they want to improve and invest in their data security. So that could mean everything from firewall security to uh, messaging security, uh, customer data security, and so there is a maze of options. With, from which to choose. Mm -hmm. And so it creates an uncertainty. Now, if you're an S&P 500 company, you can carve out 25, 30 people and say, go look at this and make some recommendations. We'll, we'll create that investment. Uh, as a middle market business, you don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. uh, the options can be overwhelming. And we're talking about transformative investments that will fundamentally change the way the S&P 500 is doing business a decade from now and threatens the middle market if they're not able to keep pace with those investments. So uh, part of it is just the inability to be able to, there are so many options. If you have 25 different vendors who can uh, protect your data, for example, or who can help automate your workforce, uh, how, which way do you turn? Mm -hmm. They all have different systems. They all have different uh, 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 functionality. So it becomes a, a, real, a real problem and challenge for middle market businesses to be able to create those investments for the future. So that's part of what we are here to solve. That's about as, as salesy as I get for, uh, for an economist. Uh, but it is a, a significant challenge that the middle market faces. Mm -hmm. And this quarter's index found that companies are reluctant to engage in aggressive hiring. Why are they holding back? Well, we think, again, the uncertainty tax is one. Uh, I would characterize that a little bit differently. So I think the the quarter-over-quarter quarter hiring uh, was not as robust as you might expect, but that's simply a function of how tight the labor market is. Mm -hmm. If you look at the way the middle market uh, wants to hire six months ahead, those uh, those levels have never changed, and they continue to be very aggressive, very robust. The issue is that there just simply aren't enough people out there to be able to to, to bring in new talent. Um, now, there are a couple of things about that. The bad news is that uh, even if we do get uh, a garden variety type of recession into this business cycle, uh, maybe things slow a little bit, uh, the middle market can, can pull back and say, you know what, we're not going to be hiring as aggressively as we thought we might be, say, a year, uh, a year earlier. Um, that's not going to improve when the economy recovers. And the reason for that is that that it's a function of demographics and uh, and the and the number of people who are available to work. Uh, right now, we have fewer than one person available per job opening in the economy. Uh, we have an aging demographic, so there is not a wave or an influx of new people waiting to get new jobs. Mm -hmm. So as we recover, we're going to go right back into a situation where even if the hiring uh, situation is alleviated temporarily because of, say, an economic slowdown. Uh, it's not going to be there as it was, say, in 2010, 2011, when the middle market found that it was there were seven, six, five people available per job opening. Do uh, rising salaries play a role in that at all? As middle market companies are trying to att attract talent, that you know maybe they're competing with big companies that have deeper pockets, is that a factor at all in in the hiring patterns? Yes, absolutely. And the middle market has been telling this for this for a couple of years mm -hmm. before it even showed up in the broad data that the BLS tracks. So wage growth has slowed a little bit recently, largely as a result of the uncertainty tax, uh, as businesses kind of evaluate, okay, what are the next 12 months going to be like? 
Uh, so that's one aspect of it. But the middle market gets it from both sides. They get it from, uh, if you're in the consumer products area, then you get it from rising minimum wage uh, that's happening across the country. Um, then you get it from just normal salary increases that are needed to keep pace with the larger companies. And then you get it in terms of what we call stealth benefit creep, where in order to, mm -hmm. to keep your talent, retain your talent, uh, and then be competitive with other hirers, you need to enhance your benefits packages huh. to be more consistent with some of the larger companies. So they kind of get it from all sides there. And if middle market companies are having trouble hiring the people that they need, what are the implications down the line for business performance? Well, that's that's the issue, right? Mm -hmm. Is that if you can't uh, grow your business through hiring, then you need to increase productivity. But if you're not investing for what the next 10 years will look like, or you are unsure about how to invest for the next 10 years, then you're kind of stuck with, well, you're kind of at the mercy of, of what the labor pool is going to be like. Mm -hmm. And our position is that uh, demographically, that's not going to change. And one of my favorite questions to ask on the podcast, which I've asked your colleague Joe Brusuelis many times, is what you're reading these days. Do you have a book recommendation or, or a white paper that you'd recommend to listeners who are you know, interested in these types of economic topics? Okay, well, so, well, I divide my reading into two sections, right? So for my day job as an economist, I got to read the white papers. I read things. Uh, a recent book that I read, two recent ones, nonfiction, that are uh, vital for understanding what the next decade will look like. One is Capitalism Without Capital, mm -hmm. which talks about GDP measurement, raises the issue that perhaps we're not able to fully measure GDP because of some of the intangible investments that we make uh, that aren't really counted in the GDP calculation. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is the future of work. What does the future of work look like? Uh, and this is uh, of vital importance for middle market businesses. Uh, Understanding the impact of artificial intelligence and machine learning, what that does to your business, how that shifts what people have been doing on a day-to-day -day basis toward more higher value functionality versus some of the low-level busy work that we all still have to do to an extent. Um, so that's one side. I got to do that for the day job. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big fiction reader, though, okay. because I think it helps, uh, it helps you understand uh, the world in a, a little bit of a different way. Um, so I'm almost finished with uh, a book called Killing Commendator by Haruki Murakami. I've read almost all of his books. Um, and if I tell you the plot, it's about a, a guy who gets a divorce. He go, He's a painter uh, of portraits, mostly corporate portraits. And he goes uh, to stay at a friend's house in, in the mountains and then uh, just talks about what happens to him. It sounds completely boring. But if you look at almost all of Murakami's works, they sound boring like that on, a, on, a, on paper. And they're hard to summarize in a brief period. I That's like. right, because he takes the, the seemingly mundane and makes it come to life. And so I found that very valuable throughout all of the books he's written. I find that perspective to be able to see what can be remarkable in something that is seemingly a mundane experience that most of us, if we have not dealt with, at least have uh, contact with somebody who has. And how do you transcend just the mundane day-to-day -day of it and find the, really the artistic aspects of, of what's really happening in those types of situations? Great. Some great recommendations. Kevin, thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple, SoundCloud, or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. 
After you've rated the podcast, visit our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, to read the latest issue of our magazine and web-exclusive content highlighting middle market companies and M&A.